Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hey everybody, bienvenidos, bienvenidas, welcome back to New Books in Latin American Studies. This is Pamela Fuentes, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Antonio Gasparetto Jr. about his new book, Atmosfera de Plomo, Las Declaraciones de Estado de Sitio en la Primera República Brasileña, which could be something like Lead Atmosphere, the Declarations of State of Exception during the First Brazilian Republic, this book was published by Tiran Loblanche in 2019. Antonio, welcome to the show. Thank you for the opportunity, and I'm very glad to be here. Antonio, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, uh, I am a Brazilian. Uh, I live in Juiz de Fora, uh, in Brazil. And uh, I work as, as a professor at uh, a master's degree in, at the Federal University of Juiz de Fora. And uh, I am a postdoctoral fellow at uh, uh, Sao Paulo University, too, in Brazil. So I researched about the state of exception and, uh, and the state of siege specifically uh, during all my, my PhD, the development of my PhD thesis. And uh, I, I had a, a period of studying and researching at uh, Sorbonne University, too, in Paris. Thank you. And tell us how you came to write Atmosfera de Plomo. What's the story behind the interest that moved you to write this book? Well, actually, when I was researching for my master's degree, uh, I... I I saw some specific uh, commentaries uh, on those papers of the first Brazilian First Republic, that is a period from uh, 1889 until 1930, uh, where the state of siege appeared a lot of times in newspapers. And I realized that no one else uh, had studied it before, had researched about it. So I, I realized that it was a, a big gap in, in historiography and uh, in Brazilian history about the First Republic and about the Republic itself, because uh, it's a, a subject that is not very explored in Brazil yet. So I decided to, to investigate it uh, deeper and understand it how it worked in the First Republic and how it worked to to construct Brazilian democracy and Brazilian Republic. So I discovered that it was uh, used many more times than, than I imagined. And uh, it is clearly a, a, a very important point of the first Brazilian experience in a Republican system. So all the Brazilian First Republic was constructed uh, dealing with the state of siege, a, a specific characteristic of that of that uh, period, and it, it influenced a lot the construction of democracy and republic in, in my country. 
And for those that uh, might not be familiar with, including myself, of course, even that I, I, I even if I read your book already, but can you introduce us to the broad context of the first Brazilian Republic? As you mentioned, you explored the years of 1889 to 1930, and there are several changes in power, a constant struggle between authoritarianism and social mobilization. But what would you say are the highlights we should keep in mind to follow the stories you explain in your book? Yes, in fact, uh, Brazilian First Republic started in 1889, as you said, and it was uh, uh, the consequence of the end of the monarchy in Brazil that uh, became independent in 1822 as a monarchy uh, country uh, and uh, until 1889 it was governed by two kings that we call Dom Pedro uh, I and uh, Dom Pedro II. Uh, and uh, the monarchy ends in 1889 with a coup uh, that started the Republican period with uh, a, a military uh, government of Deodoro da Fonseca, that actually was a friend of the, the king before, but it was part of the coup. And uh, this period uh, lasted until 1930, when another coup ended the First Republic and uh, the power went to Getúlio Vargas, one of the most famous Brazilian presidents of all time. And during this period, called the First Republic, we have uh, the, the clear power of the oligarchies in, in Brazil, uh, constructed by the, the, the farmers that uh, lived, in, uh, uh, lived uh, uh, created an economic condition of uh, Brazilian economy based on coffee. Uh, this this product. So it was the main product of Brazilian First Republic, uh, so all, for all these years, 41, this period of 41 years, and this product uh, ruled all the circumstances about this first Brazilian experience in a Republican system. So it was controlled by the, the farmers that produced uh, coffee, and it was controlled by uh, by some states, especially uh, São Paulo and uh, Minas Gerais were very strong uh, political actors in in that uh, period. Uh, but of course, we we had uh, many others in our nation that uh, participated and, and uh, played in this game of the First Republic too. Uh, but uh, we can highlight then as uh, main actors that contributed to, to, to construct these oligarchies in the, in the First Republic. So uh, it is different of, uh, different, sorry, of the other Brazilian uh, Republic, Republican periods because we have this concentration of power uh, around uh, the, the farmers and around some specific states that, that controlled the political system and the economical system in Brazil. And throughout your book, you provide a rich history of the concept of state of exception, as well as its consequences in practice. We will talk about some of those changes more in depth uh, in, during this interview, but 
Can you briefly define this concept? And maybe we can take this chance for you to explain why did you use the phrase Atmosfera de Plomo, let atmosphere, as part of the title of your book? Yes. Well, so uh, State of Siege, as I mentioned before, that was uh, very used in Brazil, is a constitutional institution that was created by the French uh, people during the French Revolution in the end of the 18th century, uh, specifically at, uh, uh, in, in 1791, uh, in the first French constitution. State of siege in that time uh, referred to a military technique uh, to use in war to use uh, in battles. But uh, um, with the years, this institute became used uh, to, to be applied to uh, revolts, some, uh, 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 how can I say it, uh, some uh, insurrections uh, in French too. And the uh, French people and the French governments discovered that this constitutional institute could be used to to uh, to apply uh, against uh, the French people, not just uh, against the enemy, the foreign enemy, but against the French people. Well, this constituted uh, uh, this notion of a state of exception. But a state of exception is, is, a, is not a, a, a creation of uh, uh, the uh, French Revolution. It, uh, this is a concept that we we use uh, uh, talking about uh, ancient Rome, for example, and uh, this that period. Uh, but uh, this was a new signification of a uh, state of siege, dealing with dealing with as uh, dealing with a, a state of, of exception. Well, so I tried to deal with it too, uh, apply these concepts of state ex of exception and state of siege in Brazil, uh, because uh, I realized that they appeared so much during this specific period I call First Republic and the historiography too, uh, call it First Republic. I, I called my book uh, Atmosfera Diploma or Led Atmosphere because this was um, uh, an expression used by a parliamentarian during the First Republic to describe this heavy context that existed in Brazil during the First Republic, especially during the government of uh, Arthur Bernardes. The, uh, during, the, during Arthur Bernardes' government, uh, it was at the, the period in First Republic when the state of siege uh, lasted the longest. So al almost four years of the state of siege. It means that uh, he governed almost uh, during a state of exception with many crazy acts uh, too, <laughs> but uh, with authoritarianism, as you said. So all these elements contributed to be described by this Brazilian parliamentary as a lead atmosphere. And I chose this phrase, uh, this expression, to be the title of my book because it, is, it synthesizes very well what happened in Brazil in that moment. And 
one of the aspects I enjoy the most about your book are the transnational connections you analyzed. Uh, in the first chapter, as you are already explaining to us, uh, you explore the long history of state of exception, starting by Roman law, but mainly focusing on France and the revolution. Just for us to be in the same boat, why is it important to explore the French case? Well, it's very important to explain to 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 understand the French case because it is uh, the cradle of this constitutional institute called the state of siege as a constitutional institute because the concept of the state of exception is older from Roman law, as you said too. Uh, but the Constitutional Institute was created during the French Revolution. So it was uh, after the, the first uh, French Constitution that this institute started to be used in France, in France and then in other countries in Europe. And then it came to Latin America uh, especially to Chile and after Argentina and then Brazil and then uh, Col Colombia too uh, and it it gained a, a big repercussion in, in Latin America adapted to all the constitutions in all the countries that were born in Latin America in the 19th century in the first part in the first half of the 19th century so it is important I, I I wanted my my intention was to explore the condition of the condition of the creation of this institute to understand why or why not it was transferred to Brazil and to Latin America and uh, what were the relations uh, between the original institute created in France and uh, the uses that uh, Latin American countries were doing in 19th century. So that was the point and why I needed to do these international connections. And just a piece of information that I'm curious about, that's kind of a personal question I have, and I hope my uh, our audience find it interesting, but you mentioned that in 1851, even the famous motto liberty, equality, and fraternity was suppressed as part of state of siege measures. Can you tell us more about this? Yes. So during the, first, the, the, the uses of uh, state of siege in France, uh, it, uh, well, it started as a military institution to use it in wars, uh, as I said, but then it became a very strong institute to repress the the riots and uh, all the kinds of insurrections that happened in France. So governance uh, with that that uh, um, explored this authoritarianism uh, characteristic uh, uh, in French society uh, used the, the, this institute to repress in, in many circumstances, including uh, the one that you said that is uh, they they were not allowed to use anymore the, the French most famous expression. Uh, 
uh, because uh, it it was a, a demonstration of uh, uh, an insurgence against the, the government and uh, the state of siege was there to eat an institute to repress all kinds of insurgents uh, in, in 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 France. Very interesting. Okay, let's move to the Brazilian context now. Uh, you explore the 1891 constitution against the backdrop of other constitutions at the time. What are the transnational exchanges between the Brazilian constitution and other debates in neighboring countries like Argentina or Colombia that you were already introducing to the conversation? Uh, well, we have to identify first that in 1891, the Constitution of 1891 in Brazil is the first Brazilian Republican Constitution, too. And actually, our second Constitution, because the first one was formed from the monarchy period in 1824. And uh, before uh, I started to, to look to other constitutions, or constitutions of other countries in Latin America, or even constitution, uh, uh, French constitutions, I looked to the first Brazilian constitution from 1824, from the monarchy, to search for any aspect of uh, a state of siege or a state of exception in that uh, text, constitutional text. And I discovered that uh, the expression state, state, of ex, state of siege was not there. Yeah, so they didn't use the state of siege as an expression uh, that clear uh, appeared in, the, in this text. But they had some aspects of uh, exceptional measures to deal with uh, riots and uh, some uh, other aspects, other crises in, in Brazilian monarchy. Well, so after that, I had to look to constitutions of other countries because the reference of Brazilian uh, constitution of 1891 was not in Brazilian constitutional constitution of 1824. It was in other countries' constitutions, so especially in uh, Chilean constitution and Argentina's constitution, because they used this expression, a state of siege, and they used the institute a lot in their governments, in their political crises. Uh, that, uh, in that time, I realized that they were actually an, insp an inspiration to Brazilian context in the end of 19th century, uh, because they saw that they were using the power, and especially the emergency power, to deal with the crisis, and especially political crises, in our neighbors, uh, in Chile and in Argentina. And the Brazilian parliamentarians in that time uh, imagined that uh, that condition of power uh, to the president, so emergency power to the president, to the executive power, was the key to deal with uh, these aspects, this this crisis that were happening in Latin America and uh, other countries in Latin America. And uh, Brazil could use that uh, tool, to, that institute too, to deal with crisis in our country. 
So it was inserted for the first time, clearly inserted for the first time in Brazilian constitution in 1891. And uh, when other countries already used in Latin America already used a lot of uh, state of siege in many cases, Brazil was starting to use. So Brazil arrived late in, the, in uses of state of siege in Latin America. Uh, but it, it lasted long until the end, lasted long until the, the end of the First Republic in 1930. Of course, they don't, uh, they didn't stop to use it in other countries like Argentina, Chile, and Colombia, as you mentioned. Uh, but Brazil arrived late in this aspect, in this use of emergency powers and a state of exception, a state of exception. Uh, in this Latin American context. In the third chapter, you explore the administrations of the first three presidents of the First Republic. And in this and the following uh, chapters, we start getting a sense of the, if I'm allowed to say, the human dimension of the state of exception measures. How the lives of Brazilians who opposed the government in different ways were affected by this state of siege. You analyzed different cases, but could you talk a little bit about the dissent against mandatory vaccination? I couldn't help but having that in my brain eh, while I was reading. So please, can you tell us more about that? Sure. And unfortunately, nowadays, the vaccination is a problem again in Brazil. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. We can talk a little bit about that, too. In the First Republic, eh, we had uh, a riot uh, about vaccination because it was uh, mandatory, as you said, uh, and uh, people didn't agree with it. And some parliamentarians in Brazil uh, stimulated people not to agree with the mandatory vaccination. So it became a, a real insurrection uh, with a conflict against the, the public forces in Brazil. And in this context, uh, state of siege specifically was not used uh, to repress this kind of uh, people, this, this group of people that were contesting the, the, the vaccination. State of siege in this, in this period, in the, exactly in this uh, case, was used to repress uh, another coup uh, that was in progress. So there were uh, some parliamentarians again that uh, uh, were trying to, to make another one in Brazil to take the power, the exec executive power. As many cases of state of siege in the First Republic, uh, they were declared to repress uh, this, uh, all these this, uh, possibilities of coups to take the executive power. Uh, and I divide it in three moments, uh, as you probably saw in the book. Uh, I divided it in different moments because they were different actors that were were trying to do it. And in this moment uh, uh, of the the vaccination crisis uh, during the the government of Rodrigues Alves in 1904. Um, there was another another uh, try of a coup, 
uh, that was the reaction of the government who was very strong against uh, against people common people folk people uh, folk uh, uh, so they used the power uh, to repress but especially they used the power and the emergency powers the state of exception and the clearly state of siege to repress and arrest these uh, those people that were trying to to get the to get the executive power to them. And in chapter four, you define the period between 1910 and 1918 as an interlude that you call a lament for the spilled blood of underprivileged Brazilians. In particular, you explore the episode of uh, some sailors who revolt against the government. Uh, how this case, how does this case embody the use of state of siege as a mechanism to repress opposition and citizens and affecting underprivileged groups in Brazil? This case you, you mentioned specifically uh, is a, a, a highlight of the First Republic to demonstrate this mechanism to repress the citizens. Because, uh, as you said, the sailors were part of uh, a very uh, poor group of society. And especially in the First Republic in Brazil, uh, the sailors were, uh, uh, were the group where were the, the slaves. Uh, the slaves, but uh, the slavery ended in Brazil in 1888. But uh, uh, black people, Negroes, that uh, they call it uh, in the First Republic, couldn't find a job uh, because uh, people didn't want to, uh, to, to hire them as workers now. So they had this difficult to find jobs. And the only place that uh, they could find the jobs in, in Brazilian capital, that was Rio de Janeiro in that time, uh, was in the Marine as sailors. So they did the, the worst kind of, uh, of work uh, in this institution and they received many punishments and physical punishments uh, yet in, in Brazil. Brazil was the last country in the world to abolish the physical punishment to sailors. So in, in, this, in that time of uh, state of siege against the sailors, they were... Uh, they, they were manifesting uh, their insatisfaction with uh, this that condition, and they ask they just asked more uh, uh, conditions of uh, better life conditions. So they wanted uh, to receive a payment, a regular payment for their their works. They wanted to be treated as humans because they weren't yet. Uh, it was a, a consequence of uh, the long slavery process in Brazil. Brazil was the last country in the Occidental world to, uh, to, to end the, the slavery. So that, uh, that this characteristic uh, is part of our society until today with, with many problems. Imagine in the beginning of the 20th century, with 10, 20 years of the end of slavery, it was uh, very, very uh, present 
in that time, in that society. So uh, this, this state of siege case uh, was around uh, this repre uh, was around no, but uh, it was dealing with uh, this situation of uh, uh, a racist society without uh, opportunities uh, to everyone, uh, a society of inequalities that was the, the characteristic of the First Republic to in Brazil, that people or those people, uh, they don't have, uh, they don't have uh, rights, uh, they don't have, they, they didn't have rights, they they weren't treated as real humans yet, and they were asking for it. Just it was not an insurrection against the government, it was not an insurrection against or to take the executive power as many other cases in the First Republic where people tried a coup. No, they were just asking for better conditions, for a better life, uh, because they still didn't have. And I think it's in that chapter, so far we have been talking about the use of, of this uh, legal tool to repress opponents of the government, but that's the time of the First World War. And it was also used with the argument to avoid external threats to Brazil. Right? How was that? How's the use of the state of siege when dealing with the possibility of external enemies or external threats? In Brazilian first, uh, Brazilian constitution of the First Republic, uh, state of siege could be used in two situations: against uh, uh, foreign foreign threats and against internal threats. So, in Almost all the cases, or I, I, I can say in all the cases, excepting this one, uh, state of siege was used against Brazilian people and, uh, and uh, a Brazilian crisis. But uh, that was the only time when state of siege was used to answer to the second possibility of uh, the, the rules uh, in constitution against an external crisis, against uh, uh, war, uh, in a situation of war. Uh, Brazil uh, didn't go to the first war, that was called the Great War at the time. They, Brazil didn't go as a, a fighter for, like, uh, like the United States or uh, uh, some Euro European countries. Uh, Brazil entered late, to arrived late, in the First World War, and just with some medical expeditions to help uh, uh, countries that were fighting against uh, Germany in that moment. Uh, but state of siege was used here as a condition to declare that Brazil was in a condition of war, was uh, facing a, a an external crisis that could lead us to a worse condition, but it, uh, fortunately it didn't happen uh, in Brazil. Uh, uh, actually, we just had uh, uh, some uh, ships that were attacked by uh, the Germans, and that's why Brazil entered the second, the second, no, the first World War, uh, and. Uh, our participation in that uh, conflict was small, but in the second 
World War, Brazil uh, participated as a, a fighter uh, in, in, in battles, actually. Uh, so, and that was the only case in the First Republic where when the state of siege was used against the external uh, threats. And now that we have all this rich context, I would like to ask you about people in positions of power speaking against the state of exception. Was that the case in different moments in history? Like uh, legislators or people openly uh, talking about how dangerous this was? Or we, we have other actors like the press talking about that? Or wh who are those talking against this? In, in a context that is so dangerous to openly talk against the state of siege? State of siege specifically uh, is not a, uh, an exception, an exceptional institute that is so present or constant nowadays. But uh, state of exception as a, a bigger uh, concept is uh, here actually uh, it's here nowadays uh, because especially because of the coronavirus crisis the pandemic is uh, creating conditions of exceptions in many countries in the world and if we think about the concept of state of exception and uh, all the the possibilities to suspend some rights and uh, and, and uh, some uh, laws and uh, some uh, constitutional other uh, rights, norms, rules, uh, we are dealing with a state uh, of exception. Uh, well, so it's not, uh, un actually, it's not uncommon to talk about the state of exception today. It is more common than uncommon, unfortunately. Uh, the pandemic created a specific scenario to 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 be like that, but before the the pandemic, state of exception was already uh, present in many countries in the world uh, because of many circumstances. The we can we can mention, for example, one uh, of the most recent circumstances that influenced the uh, declarations of uh, institutes that represent a uh, state of exception uh, because of the terrorists, terrorism uh, in the United States, for example, after 9-11, uh, 2001, when uh, uh, the President George Bush used uh, some emergency powers and uh, uh, some uh, exceptional measures to deal with the threat of terrorism. The same case happened in France, again, returning to the country that created the, 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 the Institute State of Siege. Uh, it happened in France too because of terrorism again in 2015 with that uh, great uh, attack that uh, killed many people in, in Paris. And uh, I was there that time oh. uh, when I was researching for my PhD. I was researching uh, the state of exception and, uh, well, I lived the state of exception there uh, because of a terrorist attack in, in, on November uh, of uh, 2015. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> but, I cannot uh, even imagine. 
<laughs> it was really terrible. And uh, well, so this is a, one of the cases we can we can mention that uh, state of exception is a, a common institute in our lives. But uh, if we return some more years or decades uh, in Latin America, for example, um, we can uh, we can mention the example of uh, Colombia uh, fighting against the narcos, uh, the, the old drug, uh, the, the drug dealers. The, Deal dealers, yes, thank you. Deal dealers, uh, drug dealers, uh, and then in Argentina, where the state of exception was used because of economic crisis and created this possibility too in 2001, for example, and now very recent uh, in 2019, uh, Ecuador and Colombia again, they were using uh, uh, measures exceptional measures or ex or uh, uh, even states of exception using this this uh, term uh, this, this 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 expression uh, against uh, economical crisis again and against uh, riots uh, to control and repress uh, people in, in in their countries so state of exception uh, in my point of view is a uh, 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 is a research that is necessary for our times. Uh, so we are, there is a, a very important uh, German philosopher that is called uh, uh, Frankenberg, Gintan Frankenberg, that uh, says that the state of exception uh, is being used and we are admitting to miss some rights in our defenses. That's the case of uh, the, the terrorism, for example. We admit to lose some rights, constitutional rights, to defend ourselves, to defend our our countries. Well, I like a lot what uh, his his book uh, uh, from Ginter Frankenberg because uh, George Agamben is not the only one that uh, talks about the state of exception, but uh, George Agamben is the Italian. Uh, philosopher that is the most famous. Everyone knows and uh, uh, uses his his ideas and uh, and uh, uh, talks to him with his uh, ref, uh, his ideas of uh, state of exception. And he was uh, very important to uh, to focus this aspect of political life again. Uh, returning to Carl Schmitt and returning to Walter Benjamin, but uh, we have now in this century, 2000, uh, 2000 no, 21st century, we have uh, new works uh, dealing, uh, new researches dealing with uh, the state of exception because it is becoming more and more part of our lives and uh, all the parliamentary, the parliamentary actors in in the world, in many countries, are using this this expression uh, in their speeches. So that demonstrates how it is important to to deal with it, to research about it, and to understand it better, because it is a uh, 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 it uh, now I will use what uh, George Agamben says. It is an empty of uh, of uh, law.
uh, a, a hole where we, we, we don't know what happens because there are laws, but there aren't laws. And uh, they, we live in a context with laws without laws, and uh, it's very complex. And uh, this is the point where we can, we have uh, threats to enforce the executive power and to create conditions to develop and uh, spread the author authoritarianism in the world. You know, like now uh, with uh, this conversation, I think we can get a sense of what's happening with your book because your book offers an interesting balance between legal history, but also the consequences that legislation has in, in, in daily lives. So before finishing our conversation, I want to ask you, is there any story that made an impact of you while writing this book during your research, whether you include this story in your book or not, like a particular moment during your research that actually uh, took some time from you to think or rethink what you were working on at the time? Oh, sure, because uh, during my researches, I, I, I could discover and I could identify many uh, violations of human, ri human rights in Brazil. And uh, we, were, we are talking about a period in a democratic uh, system, in a republican system. But, uh, as I said, we are talking about an exception that is uh, a, con a context uh, of laws without laws. And uh, so the governments in that time uh, committed many uh, acts of uh, violation of human rights and nothing happened to them to Brazilian presidents from the First Republic. So I could uh, identify uh, uh, all these characteristics and I could identify numbers of crimes too that happened in Brazil, numbers of deaths of uh, common people uh, that were killed by the state in Brazilian First Republic mm -hmm. and nothing happened with uh, uh, the presidents from the First Republic, because they always received the, uh, the support of uh, the parliament in, in Brazil, and they were not judged. And the, the, the crimes were very clear, because, uh, for example, uh, it was a very, common, uh, a very common act in Brazil at that time to send uh, people uh, from Rio de Janeiro uh, that were not desired there in Rio de Janeiro, poor people, uh, send them to the Amazon forest, and the Amazon forest in Brazil, First, Re First Republic, uh, had nothing of, of uh, it, it, it was nothing, well, today, Brazil, uh, account, account, uh, it has a, a capital state, uh, today, uh, there, there are, so, all the structure that is necessary to live there. Uh, but in that time in Brazilian First Republic, that part of Brazil was almost undiscovered. So it was uh, just the forest, almost just the forest. And uh, sending people to there was almost a sentence of death. Uh, because uh, those people, uh, they didn't return to the capital, to Rio de Janeiro. They died there because uh, of many diseases, many tropical diseases, because they didn't have money or other conditions 
to return to their original uh, cities or to the capital, Brazilian capital, for example, Rio de Janeiro. Well, this is just one example, but many people were killed uh, during the, the, the travels in, in, on the ships that, uh, that took uh, uh, those people to, to the Amazon forest. So, and all these things were authorized by the Brazilian government during the First Republic. It means by Brazilian presidents, because they were the, they had the, the emergency powers, they had the control of the situation, they were concentrating the powers and concentrating the actions in Brazil during the First Republic. So uh, they knew about all these things that were happening in Brazil because they were authorizing all these things and nothing happened uh, with them. And until today, one of the, one of the things I, I, I don't like uh, is that we have many streets, many uh, parks or many monuments of uh, those presidents from Brazilian First Republic. Mm -hmm. But they were so violent, they were uh, unhuman, they, they, they killed the uh, common people because they knew that uh, nothing would happen to them. And, it, uh, and that was what happened, they, they passed this period with no uh, uh, condemnations and they still alive in Brazilian culture, in our daily lives, uh, on the streets. And without, uh, uh, we are not uh, criticizing it. We are not uh, uh, discussing this this history. We are not reviewing this history, because we are not talking about a, a, a dictatorship period. We are talking about a democratic period. Of course, the both are are, are very bad, but uh, well, in, in dictatorships, uh, the power and the violence is part of the context. Uh, we know that the the, the, the system, a dictatorship system, no, sorry, a dictator system, is is like that. But we don't expect it in a democratic system, in a democratic republic. So we have to ask about it. We have to research about. It. We have to identify these aspects in Brazilian history and in other countries too because we have clear violations of human rights and the other political rights too uh, that were violated in that period because of the state of exception that was manifested by the state of siege in Brazil. Definitely, I couldn't agree with you more. There is so much uh, work to do with the past and some monuments of impunity that can be in several countries well, Antonio, we've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, can you tell us if you are working in any new projects? I am developing this research about the state of siege, uh, uh, researching about the, the researching better now the relations of uh, the relations about the state of siege in Latin America. So I am emphasizing nowadays. Uh, the uses and the approaches of the state of siege in the uh, judiciary uh, power, in the executive power, and legislative power in some countries, in Argentina, in Chile, in Colombia, and uh, in Brazil, uh, in, in these 
research I am including now these countries and I am expanding this view of the uses of the state of exception and specifically uh, the uses of the state of siege that was the most uh, 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 recurrent and important institute of the state of exception used in Latin America. So I am uh, researching uh, this these uh, connections in, in Latin America uh, among these countries to understand better how it worked and how it developed and uh, uh, when some countries stopped to use then or preferred to use more or to use less. That's the case of Brazil. After 1930, uh, state of siege was used just uh, twice more. Uh, but in other in other countries in Latin America, it is being used until this decade uh, that ended last year. Uh, so some countries chose to continue using this institute. Some countries started late, uh, like Brazil, and stopped early. I am trying to investigate all these connections and how they influenced each other to construct or to develop new uh, new laws about it. That sounds like a very interesting project and a conversation that needs to happen, all of these transnational connections again. Uh, Antonio, I want to thank you for being on the show today, talking about Atmosfera de Plomo, Las Declaraciones de Estado de Sitio en la Primera República Brasileña. It was a great, great conversation. Take care. Thank you so much. I'm very glad, as I said, to be here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. It was a great conversation. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to New Books in Latin American Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Until next time. Hasta pronto. <laughs>